All right. What up, Wednesday feed people? We are ready to go. And I'm super stoked about this one. We got live in the studio with me, Gabriel, the slick dissident. I should have changed my name tag to say that. This is not, you know, I have two chances. There's still just one chance, but we have an awesome assortment tonight. We got the homie Romy for the first hour from Rising from the Ashes podcast and our excellent friend, Emily Ridout, very frequent guest on the Interverse, first time vibranter, wish her luck. <laughs> and before we get going, you know, I'm going to say some shout outs to the people that I see in the chat already. False Reality Check, Kabir, Justin, Michael, what's up you guys over on the Rockfin side? And awkwardly awesome, Michelle Mullen, cool name, Eric Alexander. Thanks, everybody. And if you wouldn't mind, this is a great time to just kind of blast this out somewhere. Let somebody know who, you know, would be into our type of stream of consciousness hijinks. Because I'd like to see even more delicious chats going on in the live. But hey, we better let everyone else say hi besides me. I don't want to hog the mic tonight. There's going to be a lot of good stuff we get into. I have no idea what, but you know, that's how it always is. So what's up, uh, Gabriel? How you doing? How you enjoying my hospitality? Oh my gosh, delicious! <laughs> Utterly delicious. Yep, all homegrown meals over here. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, stir fry tonight. Uh, pasta the other night. Eggs from the and nineteen the feather farms. Those tacos too. Don't forget the tacos. Oh, tacos, special tacos. recipe. Lots of garbanzo in the house. Mm. Loving it. All right, so uh, let's go around the horn. What's up, homie Romy? Welcome to the Vibrant. Hey, it is a true pleasure. Uh, uh, it's, I mean, I actually wrote a little intro for this because I was, I was so excited. I've drinking so much caffeine today, and I feel so good. Uh, I say, oh, brother, it is great to be here. It has been such a soup, such a stew, a slow cook, a simmer, a soapy brew that has been happening the past four or five days. Wow, I mean, I can't even touch on how melty my noodle is. There's so much going on, but it's okay. It's fine. The timing on how everything plays out is absolutely divine. So I need not stress. Once the monad is set in place and the continuance of cyclical time grabs my britches and throws me down the hill of sticky pine sap and the spires of ancient conductive temples built by the gnomes within the circles to then somehow find time narrowing down to finally get cradled by the mother, the mother creatrix as my kundalini coil springs like a jack-in-a-box to the cosmos beneath the labyrinth of the initiated flame. Oh All right. <laughs> no, no one's ever blessed us with such poetry at the beginning of a show before, man. Thank you for that. Emily, do you got any poems on deck? I mean, is that what's up tonight? I mean, I can recite some poetry for you, but I don't think anything that will melt your noodle the way that that <laughs> melted mine. My favorite was the slipping down the hill of sap, sappy hill. I like the Kundalini Jack in the Box situation. Like that. Oh, fuck. So there's, there's this, uh, yeah, it, what that was is like basically the past five days. I don't know what's been going on in y'all's realm, but it's just been like so much fucking synchros left and right like it's fucking crazy i'm trying to calm the calm down but i'm 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 wiggling over here is there space weather that's uh you know connecting us to the extra synchro right now and i seem to be perceiving a lot of like meet up and do stuff in real life with people energy with people that we don't necessarily have any history meeting in real life you know internet friends that's actually true 
there's a lot going on in astrology. So what you both just described is accurate according to the sky clock. It's it's happening. Can we talk about that? Because uh, Homie Romy is absolutely non caput upon the sky clock. Cock-a-doodle-doo. So if anyone has some enlightenment upon that, a Braxel rooster can uh, uh, roost us with because I'm I'm completely ignorant. Unfortunately, I have. That's why I like the uh, people to uh, to enlighten me with such. Does anyone educate him? Yeah, <laughs> please. I can give you the short of what's been going on. So so the main thing. So first of all, there's some smaller things that are going on that we're all feeling in a particular way. But then there's this really big deal thing that's happening, which is tempering this to shift a lot of people's perspectives, self-beliefs, all of these things into a much more expanded place, right? So we're all sort of societally, culturally up-leveling just a little bit into one more level of consciousness. And so that's coming through because of the Jupiter and Neptune conjunct, which is going exact in April. And But it's already within like three degrees. And so these are the two rulers of Pisces in Pisces together. Jupiter rules expansion. Neptune rules the dreamscape right? Also escapism. So you see a lot of people turning to their vices right now because it's very painful to face the truth, right? But those of us who are trying to bravely face the truth, whether you've gone into your vices or not, um, are meant to begin to explode our false stories about who we thought we were so that we see and uncover a little bit more of who we actually are. And then the other things that are happening are just a Venus Saturn conjunct. So that, and then a new moon with some Chiron and Mercury action. So basically we are healing how we communicate. We're healing how we think, and we're learning to actually authentically express from the Aries place. Shout out to chance. Cause you're in Um, right the Aries place which is the authentic expression of the soul flame right so we you know when it's when it's out of balance we either over express we feel like we have to be so expressive to be heard or we under express we have that feeling of like who's going to listen anyway right but the authentic expression of the self is the true expression that doesn't necessarily need someone to react a certain way, doesn't need others to hop on their bandwagon or whatever it is, and is trying to just hold their flame and point it where they want to go. So we're in it. um, And we're going to see this happening a lot in the ideological place, right? So a lot of people in the last two years banded together with people with similar ideologies because they were trying to face the world in a particular way. And this is the first part of like coming back together and being like, Oh, just because you think this or believe this or have bumped into this reality and, you know, you think the media is real and you think it's not or whatever it is, right. The coming together and the sort of healing of like, oh, right, we're all, we're all looking at a piece of the puzzle. And those people have value too on the other side of 
you know, whatever you think. I don't think homie Roman even needed any extra juice towards expressing authentic self. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. That's so, okay. I have a couple questions on that. Um, So obviously, you know, time is this beautiful wheel Ouroboro situation, right? Cyclical in nature. And um, you have like the micro and the macro, Um, you know, we have like a yearly cycle, right? Is this something, this part of the year, this time that happens annually? Because um, I notice myself, you know, m- music taste, uh, food taste, creative energy coming through at certain parts of the year, you know, um, as as the the sine wave goes. And is that normally this part of the year? Because I feel like I, I do be writing lots of poetry in the springtime. I don't know what it is, but is that real or what, Doc? um part of this is cyclical so there will be a new moon in aries every year um chiron's pretty slow so we might have a couple conjuncts with chiron mercury tends to stay close to the sun so that piece of it um is not exactly repeatable, but is repeatable. Um, Some of the other things like Jupiter and Neptune together in Pisces is a rarity. So we're, we're getting that because the Jupiter transit takes what, 12 years and then a Neptune transit. Oh God. Long time. I know I'm like, is it 136? I can't remember off the top of my head, but long a long so time. once in a when you mean a rarity, we mean once in a lifetime for them yeah. to be together in that house, right? Yeah, unless if unless it stay for twelve years, but I don't think it will. So yeah, I think this might be this is this is really it. Oh yeah, because Neptune will be here for a while, so Jupiter will make its way around like again to what where Neptune's at. I get it. Yeah, but this is this is it for this lifetime. You're right for us. Right on this particular life. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I kind of think about um, the, uh, the, the invention of sacred geometry, right. By our, our beautiful, um, beautifully minded um, forefathers and what have you um, being an expression of um, the sky clock, like turning something like that, because, um, I, I, you know, what I, what I do with a lot of the resonance architecture research and stuff, they're a hundred thousand percent built to understand cosmology and built within cosmology. And, um, you know, you look at like things like these windows, right. And they're shaped like that. There's some symbology deeply tied just within the shape that goes into the window. And that window specifically is like the main sun. They're always built you know, the facade of it is always going to be when the setting sun is, you know, it's facing that, uh, that Western direction and they have multiple windows that go in and then the lines on the ground. So what they would do is they mark these lines every hour of the day. And then they go this way for every, you know, month, so on and so forth. And so when you see labyrinths and things like that, they spiral and they create these clusters and that's that's marking the celestial movements on the ground. And then we emanate that with sacred geometry. And that's, I think, how we figured it out. I think that's my intuitions kind of saying that. Uh, but just, you know, the way that the cyclical nature of all this astrology works, 
is just baffling, you know, and it's so constant and so fast and continuous and so in sync with how it's just, it's, it's almost like a simulation, right? Because it's so in sync with just this natural algorithm, this cosmic algorithm that's just been blasting off uh, since, since forever. Yeah. And when you look at the sacred geometry that are present in churches in particular, um, you are going to find like a lot of astrology. I mean, the churches are all, they're all astrologically based, right? And the numerology of the church is there. And actually, I always love to point this out to all of my clients who are former Catholics, um, that the the original Greek that the New Testament was printed in, um, you know, they say the kingdom of heaven a lot. The kingdom of heaven. You hear that? Um, originally, a more accurate translation would be the dominion of the skies or the dominion of the cosmos. And so, you know, people are always like, oh, heaven is what, like a cloudscape with angels or something. It's like, well the kingdom of heaven is the dominion of the sky. So doing things in alignment with astrology, right? Not fighting against what is and instead working. And so a lot of the occultists who were hidden in those traditions um, used, you know, used all of this to make, to make the good, the good geometric patterns in the architecture. Right. I want to throw out there too, that, about the dominion of heaven versus of the dominion of the skies versus the kingdom of heaven. It's like the difference between the intermediaries version of what the God wants for you versus actually getting the script yourself directly from the logos. Right. Because we, we have all these like dogmatic elements of religion that came from the priest class where the real intent behind the scriptures is in my opinion always been to get you to look up and follow that clock follow that natural law follow that word of god or logos and you do that by just doing the right thing for the time and the season that you're in and you needed to in the ancient world otherwise you're going to starve yeah that's i mean (laughs) that's that's so beautiful and so true like you have to be seasonal and love seasonally understand seasonally because your, your emotional well-being will for sure see the seek the benefits or the, uh, the opposition of a benefit. Uh, if, if you do the opposition of living within sync of the seasons, um, I, I have an idea that I came up with today. Um, and I want to see what you guys think about this and then maybe help me fill in some gaps. Who? Oh yeah, I mean, okay, it'll be like ten dollars. That's my fee. I don't know about them. Ten dollars a gap. Pretty low, low fee. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Venmo, PayPal, Cash App. Oh, sorry, say that again. I muted us. First time free. Really? Oh, Gabe, it's not the first time though, baby. I, I remember. My... Oh goodness. Yeah, first you're time. like everybody's go-to, Gabe. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you're you're an amazing savior of of goodness, and it's been great being able to see you guys, uh, uh, like meet in persons. Like you guys went out to Snake Jones's property and had like a beautiful uh, experience there. Can you guys do you guys want to talk about that? Is that cool? Like, what was up? 
My clothes still smell like fire. Yes. I love that smell. Yeah. Tell us the story. What did we do? You know, how was it from your perspective? I already know my story of it. Oh, <laughs> it was glorious. Um, <clears throat> uh, one thing I love about Snake Jones is how he keeps it real. Every time, <laughs> never fails. Snake Jones is keeping it real. He's in our chat right now. <laughs> yeah, man. Big love, Snake. <laughs> Yeah. So another thing was like converting from calling him snake to his real name. Cause now we're Oof. in the meat space. Yeah. But even the if you call him snake around his family, they knew who you're talking about. Yeah, He's even snake to them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was beautiful. You know, he's got the chickens running around the yard, animals here and there. He's got to keep those goats locked up though. Uh, the dogs are all getting along. It was just one big happy family farm uh, in his wife was an amazing hostess. Uh, that kitchen was overflowing with abundance the whole time. It was just a cornucopia of magic. Yeah, and his 11-year-old Ellis gave everybody their own personalized tour of all of his war memorabilia, <laughs> airsoft guns, you know, jackets and hats from <laughs> <laughs> old uniforms of soldiers. He gave us the grand tour. I think maybe your clothes smell like fire still because that's appropriate since we are all fire signs. Well said. Very well said. Okay. That brings me to, okay. I was going to say my first idea first, but I'll lead to the second synchro that happened today. Um, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. This is crazy. Or is it, or is it, or is it just the way that it is? I don't fucking know, but life is nuts. Right. Um, so I found these three Ignatiuses, okay, a, a, a holy trinity of Ignatiuses. So we have, let's see, what is it? Well, first we have the, um, one of my favorites, which is Ignatius Donnelly, who wrote this book that I started reading for the Atlantis month. It's literally called Atlantis and the Antediluvian World. Uh, and it's got this really cool cover that looks like the 19, or 1887 Chicago World Fair or whatever, yeah. right? Um, which is fascinating. That's um, from 1882? Well, the Chicago World Fair? No, 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 the book. Oh, well, the book, yeah. Um, actually, the book is from a uh, publication of 1882. Um, holy shit, which I'm wondering if he was riffing off of the, uh, yeah, the classic illustrated version of 1882. But I don't know when the Chicago World uh, Fair was. But if you guys have seen pictures of the Chicago World Fair, there's no reason why anybody would ever tear that down. It is an architectural masterpiece of Greece. It is Athens. It is like people unaware, like the story is they built all these absurd structures that look like what homie just showed us. But it was miles wide. Yeah. And they built it in a year and then tore it down after the fair that took a year. Which it's is fucking bogus. ridiculous, bro. Okay, so I've been. It was already up. there. I mean, that's the obvious answer. It's very obvious. Thirty-four. World War Two. No, nineteen thirty. Isn't that? That was the World Fair in France, I think. I'm Maybe nineteen thirty-seven. For Chicago, yeah, we oh, gotta Google sure. that. Eighteen ninety-three. No, Juan's on it in the chat. 1893. Okay. Yeah, stick so around. I, we'll pull you up here later. Yeah, baby. My sweet. Wow. Um, I'm way off. Okay. So, but what I was <laughs> I mean, they were doing at, world's fairs all throughout that time period. I mean, they're still doing oh. them. There's one in Dubai right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. They they advertise the one in in Paris on uh, zigzags. If you uh, look at uh, interesting some of the zigzags, yeah, it talks about the because that's where they brought those that brand of papers onto the market. That's interesting. So it's commemorated on zigzags. The thing with I, the World Fair is the most so clear wild. theme with them to me is that they're the way they're a way to seed the story of history and the future, which are both kind of illusions, <laughs> and get people to affect the present moment by these narratives. And I've been harping on this a lot lately, but the primary shamanic technology is storytelling. I mean, that's what folklore is. That's what mythology is. And the primary, the only form of warfare is worldview warfare, which is a type of inverted shamanic technology that gets people to actually go out and do things that are harmful to themselves, others in nature, because their world worldview has been changed, assaulted, raped, programmed, what have you. So I think that's kind of what goes on with the world's fairs. We're going to have Howdy back again, McCoskey Ooh, on nice. Interverse. He, go look up that one from the archives from last year. We went all out on the Chicago World's Fair with a lot of pictures. One of Shit. my favorite classes in college was called A History of Visions of the Future. And they looked at the World's Fairs really hard because it's true that our collective imagination based in narrative creates whatever we do. And, you know, they did seed a lot of wars from them and they did mm-hmm. some shady things in those fun, fun places. Right. Yes. Big time. So the, the worldview warfare word, I love this. It's my $30 word. It's a German word. It's a uh, Welt Anschauenskrieg. Uh, those Germans, they could just pack it in. Uh, <laughs> but that's exactly, yeah. Like you were saying, the world's fair, that's where putting the, the cult in culture uh, to a large degree. Uh, and I watched a film recently or a series called the underground railroad. And I thought it was going to be about Harriet Tubman, but it was like incredibly fictionalized. They took what is already an amazing story and they fictionalized it to the utmost and twisted and turned the whole thing, rewriting the perception of history they made it so there there was literally a railroad underground, like a train <laughs> system underground, which is what they always told us was not happening. I'm not saying one way or the other, but they really fictionalized it. But an f- interesting thing about that series was that they depicted the World's Fair of their time many times over as an active program to rewrite our perception. Holy so, shit. So they were they were putting some like occultic symbolism, like predictive programming, revelation of the method type of thing in that series, potentially. Potentially. Yeah. And you got to like always you're separating the wheat from the chaff. They're telling you a little bit of truth in a whole lot of fiction. And you got to have a lot of discernment to suss it out. But This is what I think the what I've been calling the priest class for a long time. And not everyone that would be part of that, I guess, in terms of vocation, but. You know, like the darker cult, if you will, the controllers, the they, their whole thing, (laughs) they and their whole thing. I am noticing more and more that it seems to be the move to add just droplets of fiction into history and then ramp it up over time so that the further you get away from it, the more the history is really just repackaged mythology. And that my $30 word for that is euharimism, which seems like when you start getting into the syncretism path and looking at stuff, even even the 
solid history or seemingly solid history, like the emperors of Rome start to look a lot like metaphors for the 12 seasons or not 12 seasons, 12 sides. It goes on, but there'll be plenty more research along that vein. I think coming in the next few years as people start to notice that the one mythology is sky clock and all of it, all the other mythology is some sort of version of that. And even history is largely been corrupted. Not that it's bad that it has sky clock stuff in, but that we're far from like some sort of ver- ver- verifiable history in the terms of a, a correct and accurate narrative. And that really there's no such thing as history at the end of the day. There's just stories. Yeah. It's not his, it's not hers. It is just. Boom. All right, who else? Who else got something? Well, <laughs> so let me get back to where I was going. So Ignatius Donnelly, right? Um, he he wrote. Um, so he wrote the Atlantis into Diluvian World, and then he wrote the destruction of Atlantis called Ragnarok, and then he wrote a book called Caesar's Column, which is a a, a future book, not a past book, right? So he wrote Atlantis. He wrote the destruction of Atlantis and his, his theorized on it. And then he wrote Caesar's column, which is a predictive book about the 20th and 21st century and basically how the new world is going to look, right? And you can tell by the cover of that book that it's very futuristic, okay? And Ignatius Donnelly, the funny thing about him, um, he also, uh, uh, wrote the cryptogram, the great cryptogram, which was like trying to prove that Francis Bacon, who is Roger Bacon, uh, wrote fucking Shakespeare. And so, but this guy was in the Senate, you know, he was, he was a, in the American Senate, he was a political, political person. Uh, anyways, his name is Ignatius Donnelly and he was born November 3rd, right? And then you go back, back to the 15th century, you have Ignatius of Loyola, which is one of the most famous of Ignatius, born October 23rd. That's the guy that started the Jesuit order for everybody out there. Started the, yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, he started the Society of Jesuits. He started the Jesuit order and his name was Ignatius Loyola and he was born October 23rd. Um, and then you have Saint Ignatius of Antioch, which is the first Ignatius ever. Because he goes back to the first century, and his birthday is supposedly October seventeenth. So you have three of these Ignatiuses throughout history that are very significant, and they all are fucking Scorpios. And then I looked up, you know, root language of Ignatius, and it's well, the seventeen ten seventeen wouldn't quite be Scorpio, but it's real 10, close. Is it? Oh, okay. Well, hey, you know, the spectrum, the, you know, like they're definitely in the same zone. Probably. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm, so my birthday is October 25th. I was in the womb for 10 months. I was supposed to be born on September 25th, supposedly. Um, and so, you know, Jesuit leader confirmed. (laughs) No. Uh, but all of their names, your mom finally kick you out. They literally had to. Yeah. So it had to be C-section and I was 11 pounds. Like it was like a whole thing. Uh, your earth sign, right? Chunky baby. Uh, oh yeah, I was too. I was a fucking chunky monkey. Um, but no, I'm a I'm a Scorpio, so it's water. Uh, oh my bad, my bad. You just talker. had your birthday. What am I doing? <laughs> Jeez, bud. But I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was interesting because I don't know if it has to do with them. But anyways, the word Ignatius is like ignited. It's flame, right? So mm-hmm. initiate of the flame. So it's Ignatius. It's ignited. It's ignited. 
and they're all high up. One is a politician in the Senate of America and wrote the fucking book called Atlantis, the antediluvian world. You know, one of the only other people besides Plato at that time. And Edgar Casey hadn't even come to fruition yet, you know? And so I'm just like, what is up with that? You know, this it's they're They're all born within the same like three week period. And their names are Ignatius hundreds of years apart from each other. What's guys take on that? Go ahead, Name, Emily. Names have meaning. So, um, so people don't like to think that they do because our parents gave us our names and it feels out of our control. And we like to subscribe to the narrative that we made ourselves because we're all idiots, right? Like, we're like, well, I'm a self made person. Well, you're like, well, literally your mother had to rip you out of her body, um, in your case, on the 25th of October, right? <laughs> on that fateful day, she had to say, get out. Um, anyway, names have meaning. And when I thought it was interesting, too, when you said Ignatius, because it is it is flame, it is the igniting force, but it's also um, related to igneous rock, right? Which is, of mm. course, matter that has been formed and forged out of the magma. And one of the views of reality is that reality is vibration, but another one is that reality is light, right? Yeah, I see that. That's great. The age of fire and gravel. That sounds like igneous rock. <laughs> Fuck. Sure does. They're crazy. Wow. Please continue. Sorry. Oh no. <laughs> um so I love that the Jesuit guy was named that because that's literally what they're trying to do is shape material reality through the flames of what they're doing. And of course, flames are what we use to transform something. So if you want to change something about how everyone perceives reality, Mm -hmm. you'd use the force of fire. And uh, alchemically, you get that white ash after something has been purified by the flame. And it even links us to the words and the color symbolism of purity symbols in spiritual traditions, like the white robes. And in Greek, the word for fire could be pronounced like pure or pure or pur. So even the word, the root of the word pure and purity is related to fire. Yeah, and there's an esoteric secret about fire and water too, right? And so, like the flame that lives in the water. And so I just bring it up because you were talking about the Scorpio quality and that is one of the secrets of that, right? Is Scorpio is water, but Scorpio is the raw material that you can use to do anything in this life. And most people waste it. You know, they waste their energy here, there, spreading it around. But when, when you have the flame in the water, you have the potential to create, right? And like one form of flame in water is literally like impregnation. But metaphorically, you are constantly birthing and creating things, um, whether you know it or not, right? And ideally, the um, the person of use learns how to hone those skills. 
Wow. Yeah. That, I really like that this comment that Mario speaking. made right here. I just want to pause on it for a second. The fire god in Hinduism, Agni. And Ignatius Whoa. begins with I G N A. Yeah. It's and Agni. It's an anagram oh for Agni. <laughs> Woo. Man, Mario. I love that these is- anagrams. That's his doing. He got me all into <laughs> anagramming. And root word, like, so I've been seeing things more anagram, which is like, uh, what is it called? Dyslexia. People are like, oh, dyslexia, you know, it's like, well, you're, that's a beautiful gift given to you. Um, not on a societal level, you know, you might be, people say, oh, you have dyslexia, so on and so forth. But in reality and in, in the true nature of understanding of reality, it is a gift to be able to decipher codes. How magical. Yeah, it's like you just naturally, your right brain is getting more involved in the language. Oh, shiveries. I love alchemy, though. I've been um, digging into the Fulcanelli stuff, and uh, which is there's some Francis Bacon connections between uh, Fulcanelli, too, which is I thought was pretty interesting. Um, but this fire. Um, a lot of times these alchemical texts, they, they speak of philosophical waters and they speak of philosophical fire. And so it makes me think that there's just like so many different types of alchemy, if not everything is involved within alchemy on the sense of like, okay, you have co- cosmological alchemy. We have the body of our galaxy and each planet represents, you know, a certain metal, right? That play within the alchemical stew pot there, you know, played by the creatrix or what, what have you just to create and pull a little bit from. And then you have mental alchemy with, you know, psychology um, and being able to contort and and be able to like control the funnel and tunnel in which, you know, our viewpoints are. And then you have the mainstream alchemy of like actual science and chemistry. And then you have my favorite, which is, Hey, I guess you could call it biological alchemy, which is just reality, which is, you know, food. Yeah, man. And our bodies are cold. A little fermented beverage, some spagyrics going on. Uh, no, uh, this is just pine pollen, a pine pollen water. Oh, tell us all the gravy about pine pollen. That sounds good. Do you okay? So this shit goes way back. Synchros on top of muffin tops, baby. Blueberry, <laughs> banana nut. You feel me? Some streusel. Uh, <laughs> fruity, fruity, juicy, baby. That's what you said to me earlier today. <laughs> oh, uh, juicy fruit bubble gum sticks. Uh, so um, okay, let me read one more. Uh, a sweet little uh rant that I had uh that I sent uh, I sent Juan this earlier. I've been fucking on one all day. And thank you, Chance, because I've been excited to come on the show. And so I've just been ramping up and uh, I really appreciate being here. Um oh, I'm so, excited to have you for just the one-on-one where we do some deep dive on your research, man. You're always welcome on the vibrant. It's just you know, we have this uh, conflicting Wednesdays. podcast host schedule thing where we're both doing Wednesday night things. Son about that. Open I'm day. really glad you're here. If I didn't make that clear, you are the man. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Uh, I love everybody. Thank you guys so much. Okay. So here's one, one of Romy ran from earlier today. <clears throat> the tree bears the fruit. Time isn't in circles. It's in loops. Once a time and not in time, the tying cords intertwined and out comes the juice. Salivate. If you need a boost, 
many layers of the egg when Abraxas senses roost. Hormonal harmonies blasting through basilica symphonies stabilize the frequencies, sprinkle and mingled hanging on the expansive, fixed branches of Yagdrasil. Get your fill, pot your pie, fall freely and decalcify. Third ear open and third eye gaping. My third leg propped up, prepared for the undertaking. <laughs> third leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Which brings me in to pine pollen. Okay. So um, when we first started RFPA, we were like, we're going to do intros and we need to each have a new segment, Dan and I. And so I was like, okay, I love, um, you know, earth. It's the heart. Earth is heart, right? It is the heart of the cosmos and so on and so forth. And so earth is mama. And she, the, um, another vision I had the other day is that, you know, if we are in a layered earth, a cavernous earth of sorts, right. And we are on one part of that extremity. I feel like there's beautiful alchemists, people that have our back 120% underneath us, underneath the ground, pushing up all of the nutrients we need through the soil just at the right time for us because every constituent and every plant corresponds with one part of the body in another way, shape, or form, or a part of your consciousness, which is fucking crazy. And it's 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 segmented out in each just little square inch of the fucking, uh, you know, of this. And so pine pollen... Um, okay, what I really think it is over through the time of, of really getting to it is pine forests are in the, uh, oh, here we go. Oh, look at it. So for one, look just a, guy. look at that guy. Little puff. Just give a little appreciation. <laughs> That's how you harvest it. You're just going to do whoop. Yeah. So I, I go and I cut the, uh, I'll cut the bottom there. They usually grow in like little threes. Um, and, uh, you cut that and then put them into a bowl and then the pollen will shake onto the bottom of the bowl. And then you cut each of the catkin pods off and then you keep the catkin pods cause there's residual pollen in there, which you can then make a really strong tincture out of the catkins, but you separate the pine pollen that you get the free floating beauty. It's a golden powder that comes from this. Right. And so what's pine cone significance? What is it? What's it? Vatican pineal gland um uh, uh sumerians right the hand baskets of the gods pine cone and the hand baskets well we just had a sweet interview the other day um with a hypnotist that wrote a book hypnotist guide to atlantis and she over the years and she's on um her name is sarah brookshire she's on uh guide tv um, there's some synchronicities with her because she met two days before our interview. She met the guy, Andrew, um, Marco Vigato, uh, who wrote Empires of Atlantis. They met two days prior and he was our first interview of the month and she was our final interview of the month and they met in person. It was like, what the fuck? And so in her book, what she, the fuck? What the fuck? Uh, do that for Juan. He's in there in the chat. Well, Illuminati confirmed. Uh, and, and so she basically uh, puts people in a hypnotic state. And then, you know, through that, she, you know, dives through the layers and she has people 
uh, tell her about the worlds of Atlantis and Lemuria. And it's a fascinating book, guys. Go get it. It's called Hypnotist Guide to Atlantis. Anyways, uh, something in there that blew my cap was some of her clients saw visions of pine forest on the, on the lands of Atlantis. And it was just covered in pine forest. Then I was listening to the North wind today, beyond the North wind, which is all about Hyperboreans. And, uh, they were saying that Hyperborea, the Island of Hyperborea was pine trees and reindeer horns. And I'm like, Whoa, because reindeer. So rain, uh, uh, deer antler velvet, is an amazing testosterone booster, right? Like it is used in, um, uh, what New Zealand, right? It's like where it's mostly manufactured and, uh, tribally speaking, it's been used for a long time. It's a very ceremonial, beautiful type of medicine and it rages your testosterone. Like it gets you connected. And the thing with testosterone is kind of gets a with the third one. leg. Yes. Yes, it does. Third eye, a third leg open. <laughs> and they all correlate because I think the thirds of whatever we're talking about, they're all the within line of the spine. And so like, you know, you got, I'm for real, like you do have a third leg, you know, referencing that type of, you know, it's, it's for the, the, the creating life, right. And in order to produce the pollen that the catkins do and things, God, dude, I am so caffeinated and rambling, but Pine pollen is beautiful. It not only helps men with testosterone boost, but it also helps women tremendously with hormone regulation, right? And that's what it does with testosterone too. It's, it's just a hormone regulator beyond repent. Like it's just, it's so beautifully, um, like diagrammed to meet your cellular needs that it, it is some of the best plant medicine. And I've taken, I've taken it all, dude. I take tinctures all day. Um, you know, black ant powder, you know, uh, uh, all the things and pine pollen. I think there's a connection to pine pollen and truly decalcifying your pineal gland also whilst having hormone regulation. And I, I really, I have a bunch. I want to send it to whoever the fuck wants it. Please let's go. Everybody needs to be on this shit, dude. Nice. You're pushing your weird medicine on us. <laughs> <laughs> it's not I'll take some, oil. let me just text you my address real quick sweet yeah let's go yeah, I love any more it. private awesome. information I've actually been thinking a lot about the evergreens and conifers and like when we're at the farm homie Martin amazing Martin came yes. and joined us too and uh, he does flow states with us after this he brought us turpentine soaked ginger candies <laughs> mm, magical Utterly magical. Man, some turpentine ginger. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing is I think alchemy playing on the sense of like the Kreatrix Gaia, you know, she has created everything abundance that we need. And during these times that we're living in, I think it's, it's the most important time to truly tap into that. Um, especially since it's spring going into summer, you know, like on that seasonal sense too, it is time to truly like hone in on as many, um, homeopathic remedies that, that we can get our hands on because that's what truly connects us to having more synchronicities in our life. You know, when you're on the, you know, your body's your temple, your body's your cauldron and alchemically speaking, you know, you need that philosophical fire to rage inside. I mean, it makes me think of the mycelial network, you know, 
When I was a kid, my mom asked me, what do you think God is? I said, it's a web. God's a web. Everybody who knows each other are connected by a strand. And the devil, he's just a, a taint. I used the word taint before it meant <laughs> what it means today. <laughs> the devil's just a taint in the web. She was like, I'm calling your aunt. You gotta tell you gotta tell your aunt saga that. That's profound. You're too young to think those things. <laughs> Man, you said that when you were a child that God is a web. Yeah. I was wow. on the young way before I knew young was a thing. Apparently. Young young wow. when you were young. Yep. <laughs> oh my goodness. Never too young to young. <laughs> Um, okay, so I have one more because I got to pop off soon, unfortunately. Um, and can I tell you guys one more caffeinated brain thought that I had today? At least one more. Okay, spasmodically here. Um, <laughs> okay, so if you guys have watched John Levi uh, on YouTube, he's one of the ultimate like OGs of like under trying to understand and decipher resonant architecture, looking at all these buildings all across the globe that all have this very specific type of architecture. And that, that we used to live in an ethereal society where we could extract the ether energy wirelessly. And we had this type of understanding and cohesiveness with the energy grid of the system. Well, the types of buildings that we see are kind of very specific, right? You have the cathedrals, which we know are definitely generators of resonance of some sort, which, uh, which are beautiful. And then you have the Capitol buildings, which are all over the world. All of the capitals of every country has a very specific Capitol building. It's a dome with one spire, right? Then you have these palaces, you have libraries, ancient libraries, and you have these very, so what, what I'm getting at is I think how these ancient cities, these resonant cities were built was to basically correspond with the the body and the systems of the body. And so each building would capture the ether energy and disperse it as your body creates energy and disperses it throughout the body. And so I was like, that makes sense. Why the fuck not? Seven of them. Probably I mean, that makes sense for re- as the concept of resonance. It's like, that's how it works. Yeah. Right. It's a micro macro thing. It's activating both scales in the same way. So let's see if we can't connect these here. Where the fuck are you? So I, um, seven types of resonance architecture. I think, uh, the library, these library of Alexandria, right? Historic, beautiful building. Libraries are always beautiful, magnificent buildings. And I think the structure of those probably were the brain or the the crown chakra. I think um, the you can also make the metaphor for like computer circuitry too. How so? Uh, uh, with the libraries? Well, well, not with the libraries, but just with all this resonance architecture. Yes. Yeah. And the web, the webs, God web. That's super fascinating. Um, and I was thinking the capitals, the capital buildings, which are really hard to find, uh, like history on those, but, um, you got the cap, which is capstone potentially, yeah, the, uh, head. the head, right? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking that would be the third eye if we're talking chakras, or uh, crown or crown, the capital. And then 
Okay, yeah. So let's put the capital up here. Library, maybe below that. Library could definitely be in the third eye or throat categorization. Throat. I don't have one for throat. I Uh, think throat. But does like amphitheaters could be the throat? Amphitheaters. Thank you. That's what that's what I don't have on here. Amphitheaters. Uh, that that's all around too. I mean, even some of what we have for like NFL stadiums and stuff comes from uh-huh. what appear to be old world coliseum style structures. Coliseums okay. are amph- amphitheaters, that type of thing. That feels kind of crowny. So, or uh, uh, throaty, throaty. Mom. Third too. Was it? Could be the third too, because amphitheaters are places for actors. Mm. Third is how you act. Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. No, beautiful. Absolutely. Um, what about or heart? Even because like heart, it has a lot to do with hearing. I think cathedrals opinion. are the heart, in my opinion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, but <laughs> also, it's wishy washy, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of overlap, probably. Cathedrals would be in a feminine encoded um, chakra. Which could definitely be a cathedrals could be kind of in the throat concept too, because they're all about putting out those sounds, man. They got the bells, they got the organs, they got the preacher or whatever. And telling you the story. Maybe lungs. Blue. Because it's got, uh, for one, it's where people get married. Uh, so two different blood types come together. The blue and the red blood mingles, and the spirit is the breath. Oh, so I, actually, that would make a lot of sense if uh, the cathedrals were the throat chakra of the system. That's okay. This is a uh, cool, cool categorization you're coming up with. I haven't yeah. heard this take before. So, well, but it makes sense because, like, the ancients knew for anything to be powerful it needed to reflect the universe which they could do by having it reflect the body mm-hmm. you got a but, screen share for us oh yeah check <laughs> so this is so this is the sewer system an antiquated sewer system of the roman empire okay do you guys see what i see it looks like it was drawn by a 12 year old boy uh-huh <laughs> so, what maybe you- 13 <laughs> so um it's phallic right Bingo. It's, it's phallic. Um, something else in the resonant uh, architecture kind of realm is uh, is these sewer systems because they go back to long before antiquity and it's flowing water, usually down flushing. And so that's kind of how I see it. If it would be this type of like excrement of, but but then again, you know, like I guess. It doesn't have to be necessarily like, you know, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the ancient sewer systems, these elaborate buildings, they're, they're very, very elaborate and high tech, especially for the time. It's super important to have a sewer system built within your town. And so that's why I think that might be the, um, either the root or the, uh, the, the one, the second chakra, which I forget, uh, the sacral or sacral. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, we used to say, get your mind out of the gutter, you know, and here you are talking about the, the plumbing. <laughs> so I'm very euphemistic. 
<laughs> your mind that's if it got there <laughs> um so that's i mean think the uh amphitheaters and what was the other one with the the fighting coliseums 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 like if, if it's actually like an arena for fighting to me that sounds pretty like i don't know solar plexi what do you think emily battle of wills i think so yeah the will lives in the third chakra so Probably that. Um, I also saw somebody left a comment. They were talking about library having the root of Libra, which is ruled by Venus, but also Saturn is exalted there. But um, that is a that is a good argument for a, a heart space. Can we connect these to the pla- the planets? Probably, actually, right. That totally. would be really fucking cool. Yeah, if you're connecting it to chakras, then planets are not a far step either. Yeah, so each planet is exalted in certain chakras and each planet is at home in certain chakras and you can you can harness that. And also what Gabe was saying about people get married in cathedrals, the Catholic Church's seven sacraments actually line up with each of the chakras as well. Mm-hmm. So you see, you know, each of these systems had an energy center basis. And so the people who make cities of course, also have energy center basises. And you can tell, right, by intelligently looking at a city, whether they were goddess worshipers or sun worshipers or who they were, like the founding fathers of America, really into the goddess, right? The virginal goddess, the White House, the Oval Office, wedged between Maryland and Virginia, right? Virgin Mary, Mm -hmm. um, the whole Columbia being... Um, the the Virgo energy too, and then America itself. The word, you know, all of these things sort of referencing that. Anyway, the chakras—they're all there, and the planets—they all line up with your chakras, and that's what I do all day with my clients to help them. Wow! There, homie is the word city. You know, it has that sitting, and that's that root chakra. Wow, the word, yeah, actual like sitting, sitting, mm-hmm. sitting, sitting. And phonetically, I, city means accomplished or are those magical powers that come to you. With a full, you got to have the full circuit though, right? You got to have the, the full swing of things going on, everything working in tune. As long as you drink your pine pollen. <laughs> Seriously, guys, if you know, we went back to it. the World's Fair in Chicago, they had one yeah, of these. Yeah. Yes, this thing. Whoa. Yeah. Phrygian cap, baby. This yeah, is from the World's Fair in Chicago. They just colorized the photo. It, you know, they were all black and white photos from back then. Yeah. They have the yeah. winged globe. I forget who that is. Do we know? Should I should I look it up real quick? We're thinking Globus uh, Cruciger. For the is that a Cruciger? Mm-hmm. It's but there's a, actually, it's not really a winged globe. There's like a, a bird on top. I don't know, man. Maybe an owl? It's you a phoenix, at, probably. You need to take another look at this again. A phoenix, yeah. Good call. It's good we're talking about phoenixes before you go. Because I put one on the... I made kind of like a phoenixy feeling thing here for the cover for the show. Because nice. it's episode 33. That you know, we got to confirm the Illuminati. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> fucking cool. 
Um, well, I guess I got I got something for that. I was going on a rabbit hole last week on the double headed eagle crest, which is, you know, the crest of the Romanovs and the Holy Roman Empire later, which I kind of have a theory, which I talked to Gabe about who we got um, got revved up when we had Ari Esulin on the show that um, and then also in the book Beyond the North Wind in chapter 12 with the Russian Hyperborean um uh, strings because there's a huge hyperborean russian type of paradigm you know indo uh european and everything um they they fully believe the motherland of them was was hyperborea uh anyways that basically roman empire wasn't from rome but it was in fact from the romanovs or the rus horde like coming from russia um, and in Russia and China always basically being one, never really being separate, even if you put a fake border on it. Um, even now, right? They're, they're, they're bonded always yeah. and they've always been bonded. Um, yeah. They took, and yeah. they took the Russian flag recently and flipped it upside down. It's clearly a dragon mask. <laughs> clearly. Wow. And that's Hyperborean too. I mean, Hyperborea was known as like land of the dragon, uh, boar. I looked up boar and boar in science is like the fringe area of a magnetic field. It's right outside of the really strong point of a magnetic field. Nice. Like um, the border. Border. Border of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Fuck. And then, uh, you know, to dig down. So there's a lot of talk of Borea to be, you know, the one of the 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 agartha or shambhala like that type of entrance and stuff it's oh my gosh um well uh we're gonna go do this thing with andreas zertis anybody have any questions for that man he is a he's a trove of knowledge oh man Hmm. Hmm. i'm not familiar with his work he's a tartarian nut yeah and he is a million facts in a second he is rapid fire he is Locked and loaded with so much to say. Maybe, you know, you guys over on Rising from the Ashes, you, I forget the character who mentioned it, but somebody corresponded St. Petersburg with the gates of St. Peter and had this weave that made Russia heavenly and the architecture and the churches of its, in its heyday way back then. The that Russia was like the promised land, to the, the place to seek, and that St. Petersburg was the place where they would check your papers. And I'm even thinking this was this is me adding to the weave that you guys had earlier. I forget the guy who said that. Uh, Don Anaki knows him. Um, was it Ari Asselin in that same kind of? No, maybe, maybe I think it was on a panel discussion. There were quite a few characters in the mix. But one thing I thought about was in the olden days, how would you check somebody for their criminal record? Is it possible that there were certain forms of scarification? Mm. Like we do know that a clipped ear means that you were uh, guilty of forgery, of making counterfeits in art or in in minerals, in money. So I'm wondering if St. Petersburg would check people for certain brands or whatever as their jacket, as their criminal record, before they would allow them into the promised land of Russia. Maybe that's something to feel out with him, if there's, wow. if there's more to that. Like where we get that Peter at the pearly gates thing. Right. 
I'm win. not tripping on minerals and money, money rolls. Like I, I'm, you yeah. said that a second ago and I'm fucking kind of, that's fascinating to me to think money mm-hmm. stems from the word minerals. Yes. Those bankers. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, you have Russian Orthodox is in the East and we have the, what we think of Catholicism today, for some reason, we really harp on that Italian, more Western-oriented uh, Catholicism. But there are very important distinctions between East and West. Yeah. It's a feud that's been going on for around a thousand years now. And also, just oh, a quick sh- point to kind of wrap up Ignatius from before, Leola, Spain. He, did, he got down in Spain. So a lot of people say Jesuits, blah, blah, blah. And they think Italy because our mind goes to Italy because of the Vatican. But Jesuits were, that's Spanish. Yeah, and they were really active in France too. Right. Yeah. And in Russia. Wait, no, I'm sorry. I was mixing that up with the Templars of the Catherine the Great thing. Emily looked like she had a thought though. I want to get her in here. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about. Okay, let's hear all the thoughts. Well, I unfortunately cannot, Emily. I I bid adieu because I do have to pop off. Dan sent me an invite for our thing, which is at seven, which is now. Um, but I wanted to say thank you for all, all of your help, Emily, with uh, connecting uh, some of the chakra things and the and all the Cosmo things. Uh, thank you. And thank you, Chance and Gabe, your brothers, um, brothers of Heliopolis and uh, Thou Shalt Tried True slaps. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. So now there's the three of us. I did shoot one a link. If you hear this one, you can join us if you want. Or if anyone out there, you know, wants to pop in here in the chat, let me know. But Emily, did you hold those thoughts? Do we have access to them? Oh, yeah. Well, yes. I was just thinking about what you were saying with St. Petersburg. And I think it's worth noting um i think of course like chance you're very familiar peter is pater is father is saturn right the rock the lord the rock and peter is the rock upon which the church is built right but literally the rock the 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 cube of saturn and the cubic rock is a very specific symbol, right? And that's referencing the word ebon, right? Which means stone, but is referencing the father and the son, right? Because the same characters in the Hebrew um, write the words father and son. So you're looking at a very paternalistic view of structured material reality because we're looking at a Saturnian principle and the cube of reality, which is the cube, right, that shows us exactly what reality consists of in a way, you know, in the path of the the tarot and the path of astrology and all of these things. And so when you were talking about that, I was like, that would make sense that you would um, construct something like that, if you were trying to either construct a heaven on earth or assert your dominion. Yeah, there's always a million reasons to talk about cubes. Oh, yeah. What do you got, man? We were talking heavily about cubes 
last night. And what I'm thinking right now is how we're discussing Ignatius, the igneous rock, and how that symbolism is still like replete with importance, like the uh, Black Rock Corporation that owns. Well, like everything. <laughs> I don't know if anyone out there is unfamiliar with BlackRock, but that's worth doing a deep dig on. One of the handful of corporations that owns all the other corporations we're familiar with. Yeah. Uh, this was in our uh, Avengers, Marvelous Demystifiers of the Avengers series, kind of picking up some of those pieces we put down. But uh, I find it a little alarming. Uh, when I discover ways I never thought of that the the cube is so important um, and almost it it almost seems hidden, <clears throat> but one good example is the word book in reverse is cube, and the shape of a book is you know a cube, uh especially a really thick book <laughs> um but I had a realization of in the last month uh, that uh, all of the state boundaries of the United States, when you look at them, there's only one location where the boundaries are uh, even cross-section, and that's the four corners. And if you look at the boundaries of every other state, we have failed to make uh, even squared off shape on every other boundary on the United States, except for the four corners, the one exception. But what's kind of neat about that is that when you look at a cube, there are only two shapes that come out of looking at a, the canted square. The corners, you mean? Yes, the corners. It's either a T where the three lines meet and create a T, or there's some variation of a Y. Which is just like the angle you're looking at the corner of the cube from. Yes. And so it was just kind of profound to consider that even the defining boundaries and borders, all Saturnian concepts of all the states are cube oriented. They express aspects of the cube. Uh, so that's been something I've been pondering a lot lately. So something to think about. Yeah, and you'll see when you look at the cube, right, um, a lot of the esoteric principles reflected in it. So you see like as above, so below, and you see that like in the cube of space, there are specific associations with specific tarot cards, specific chakras, specific zodiac representations, right? And and as you study the cube, um, it reveals more of reality. <laughs> I got distracted reading the chat. Apparently Gordy is watching us and symbolic studies, Mario's channel at the same time. That's cool. <laughs> hey, I want to, this is a good opportunity right here to one of the reasons why we even got in touch. Yeah. Was that you have some new offerings coming up and I want you to share What's new in the astro yoga world for you and what you're train, training people on right now? All the things, you know, tell us, tell us about your services. Maybe some of us are listening that are new to what you do in the first place. So lay, lay it on us. Oh, totally. So what I do is I'm an astro yoga specialist. And what that means is 
yes, I'm a professional astrologer. I do purely astrology readings and purely, I, I also train professional astrologers to learn to read astrology charts as well as regular people who maybe don't want to become astrologers also to read their charts. Um, but right now, actually on Sunday, we're starting the next round of Astro Yoga teacher training, um, which is not the original yoga teacher training. It's a continuing education course. So if any of you are yoga teachers, you can count it for that if you do take it. But it trains people in the astrology to their energy and physical body connections. So um, it trains you to to know like which planet is exalted in which chakra, what are the naughty systems of the body and how do those energy channels correlate to the luminaries in astrology? Um, what is the movement of the energy that moves through your hands and feet and how is that related to the planets? And then to figure out how to read a chart and how to see in your chart oh, I need this, right? This is what I need to do to get this in my body from my chart. Um, or, you know, this is what I would do for kind of everybody in this moment because, you know, the same new moon conjunct energy is affecting all of us. So so the Astro Yoga teacher training, I also have memberships um, for people who want to have kind of a low commitment way to do this, but that's what I do. I just train people to be highly, highly knowledgeable about these topics. There's nothing better than getting into the body and the intelligence of the body. I feel like once you have a system, a, a mental scaffolding that you can articulate through your body will actually start sending you information in the terms of feelings and uh, intuition that correspond to the system that you've taught yourself. So you actually gain a level of communication ability with your body by learning these type of systems, in my opinion. Otherwise, your body may just not even have the language to speak to you through. It's true. And you can use these systems to get whatever you want, to have whatever you want to have, and to be whomever you want to be. Um, you should do it well. Gordy says, plug the Instagram. It's great. Gordy's right about that. You have an awesome IG. Oh. I'll dig that up and link it in the uh, chats too. Oh, yeah. I try to blow up Instagram. And then I forget to post for a couple of weeks and then I'm back. Handle there. Uh, it's Emily Ridout Astro Yoga with underscores between the words. Astro Yoga is one word. So, okay. I think Gabe has a question for you. Yeah, I'm wondering about the uh, yoga series known as warrior poses do you know any uh mythology that corresponds with the movements and the transitions through i do know a lot of the mythology surrounding that um 
there are different warriors though, right? Um, the easiest warrior to reference would be the Ramayana or the Bhagavad Gita, right? Um, so you might find yourself, I think the easiest access point would be the Bhagavad Gita, right? Because a lot of people have read that. Um, for those of you who haven't read it, it is a long form, some might call it a poem, um, wherein a man named Arjuna, who's a warrior and a prince, um, approaches a battle that he has to fight in. And his charioteer is actually a representation of God. It's Krishna in that story. Um, and so he's riding in on this chariot and he sees the battle. And on both sides, he sees people that he loves, people that he's known since childhood, because these are warring kingdoms of people he's familiar with. And he pauses and time sort of stops. And he's just like, I can't bear to go into this battle and fight and potentially kill people that I love and care about. And I also can't bear to just allow them. He He's sort of like, maybe I should just allow them to slaughter me because I can't bear to kill them. And basically Krishna comes in and he's like, yo, this is your purpose. You have to do this. But before you do, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about yoga and the nature of the true self. Um, and so we see this, of course, echoed in Tarot Key 7, right, which is the card of cancer, but also symbolic of the entity, which is victory, right? Um, and of course, we see a cube in that card as well, because the chariot is a cube. and so you're looking at this and it's in the Bible too. Like Paul talks about it a lot is fighting the good fight. Right. And so we see this in the occult in the Western sphere. We see this in the occult in the Eastern sphere. Um, and it's the, it's the duty, right? The warrior poses tends to show the duty that we have to perform our Dharmic activities. Is this making sense? Is this answering your question? Yeah, yeah. This is what we want. We want the Bhagavad Gita lesson, the nature of the true self. Oh, man, it's it's such a great text, right? And it's so short. And if you are a fan of Emerson or Thoreau or any of the transcendentalists in the United States, they were like all up in the Bhagavad Gita. Like they all read that and then they were like, maybe I'll go to Walden Pond. <laughs> and feel my feelings, right? The Bhagavad Gita, you can get so much out of it. Um, I teach it to teacher trainings, or I used to teach it to teacher training students a lot. And it was always funny because some sometimes people are like, yeah, I hated reading it. <laughs> and sometimes people are like, it was profound. And sometimes people are like, why was he talking about the threads of reality for so long? There's your web activity. <laughs> hey, Kaylee. Hi, Emily. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I'm stoked. I was doing funny things behind the camera, behind the uh, backstage there for a second. I could see that in my <laughs> interface here. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I was glad to be able to snag you because two astrologers is better than one. 
right? <clears throat> and you might I, have more intelligent questions than me. Well, I don't know. I'm an oaf. Maybe, maybe not. I just, I really, um, I really love your work, Emily, putting oh. yoga and astrology together. I've done a couple, a couple of, um, your, uh, like special sessions and got a lot out of them. Um, yeah. So I do actually have a question, but you were in the middle of saying something. So <laughs> finish your thought. And then I, and then I do actually have a question or two. I have no idea what I was saying. So I would love to just hear it. <laughs> No, it's good. It felt like a great transition point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if someone, say, wanted to do like the yoga astrology teacher training, would you recommend that they have a decent basis in being like a yogi first? Um. I haven't in the past. A lot of the people who take it are yoga teachers who are like trying to maintain their certification and learn this information. Um, sometimes people take it without having taken any yoga at all. Um, it will make sense. We will be using yoga terminology. There's actually not that much like physical yoga we do. I think we do one or two physical practices just to show some principles. But most of what we do is we sit, we talk, and I describe to you layers of the energy body, layers of the physical body, and exactly how they relate to astrology. And then we start to look at people's charts and demonstrate how you how you do that. And you also learn um, astrology principles. So no, you don't have to know yoga. Um, you'd have to be familiar enough to know, like, like what a sun salute is. Like, the first week, basically, we'll be like, there's the sun and the moon. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <laughs> we start with, like, by the way. <laughs> um, and, and as well, like, what is the nature of time? How did we get here? What is, like, every conceptualization of astrology but yeah you don't have to be a yoga teacher to take it mm -hmm. um it won't give you your initial certification though because those are very specific and 200 hour programs but it does count towards some 300s um what are did that answer your question that did yeah yeah that's really cool um yeah because i mean talk about jumping into the deep end just <laughs> let's not just learn astrology or yoga let's learn them at the same time like that seems pretty intense but you know uh but also might be a way of so helping solidify the learning of each other because it's my experience that the more information that you have the more you can recall it because you have more ways that it links. This is kind of going back to what I was saying about a communication system for your body to talk to you through. But the, yeah, the more, you know, that relates to each other, the memory works that way. It's like a chain, right? So if you have something that comes up and you know, three things that are attached to that and you go to one of those things, but then it has five attachments, you know, you can get on a great flow state train of thought. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And it, it is a lot of information. And so I always tell people like, start 
where you are. Like if you're brand new to astrology, you're not going to take the same level of nuance as the person who's already a professional astrologer who takes the course. And I have some people who have taken it who were professionals, some people who had been teaching astro yoga for over 10 years, you know, like it, everyone starts at their starting point. And then um, so far I've checked in with people who have been very beginners and then the people who have been more advanced and everyone was able to get things, but you shouldn't expect like, like it's like learning to read, right? So you, you don't expect to be like a profound like poet the first day you're learning one thing, right? But like dropping fire like Romy earlier, what? <laughs> right? I yeah. love that guy. That was amazing. <laughs> I know, yeah. But but you know, every there's a every step happens in a unique way for the person. I have yeah. a question here about the layers of the physical body and energy body. Is there anything about that anatomy that maybe isn't very widely recognized or known in our foo-foo, woo-woo, new age circles here? Oh, hell yeah. There's a lot that people are super confused about. Um, Which naturally, like, of course, we're all confused. There's so many systems coming together, crossing linguistic boundaries, crossing geographic boundaries and of course the ways that they crossed in the past so there's just a lot that is hidden um and so it's important to clarify and hone our own understanding as time goes on and and you know continue on our on our paths um i think there's a lot of misconceptions about the chakras but i but probably everyone knows that so maybe i'll bring up um the concept of the Koshic model of the body. Are you familiar with the Koshas? Anyone? No, this is going to be some good learnings. Gravy. This will be fun. Um, so, so the Koshas are another model of the physical or the subtle body, which we all like to use the chakras because we love our energy centers and we love our endocrine systems. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing, but added to that, there's another, there are multiple different models for understanding the etheric body. And one of them is it's usually drawn like Russian nesting dolls, right? Where they're, uh, they, uh, they're not Russian anymore. Can't oh. say that. <laughs> they're Ukrainian nesting dolls. No, the Ukrainians are the ones with the painted eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, one of my friends in folklore grad school was really in, like all of her research was in the folk arts from those two locations. I wonder how she's doing now, but, um, but okay. So you imagine the nesting dolls, um, but you also have to understand that when you use this model, the little one could be the big one or the big one could be the little one. And they're actually all permeating each other. But these are useful systems because we're looking at the energy body as the layers of the body that then affect the next layer. So your access point to the next layer is the two layers around it. Okay. And so these bodies 
move from the physical body, um, literally the food body, right, is what we call it, um, into deeper and deeper layers until you get into the bliss body. Um, people can get stuck in different layers of their body. You all probably know these people, someone who's obsessed with their physical appearance, their physique. Maybe it's been you yourself at some point when you've been really focused on your diet or your exercise or whatever it is, right? Um, We also know people who get stuck in their pranic body of emotion, um, their, their chatter brain body, or even their wisdom body. That's where I get stuck. I will read philosophical books all day long. (laughs) You'll be like, and I'll be like, no, I've been focused. (laughs) Right. Like, so you you have to, you have to recognize like where you get stuck. You know, some people, you know, cannabis, I live in like the number one, I think cannabis town in the country perhaps. And you see people a lot stuck in their bliss body too. It's not all. Um, And so Anyway, you can use these layers to understand how to hack different areas. So if you're depressed, right, you're probably having an issue in your pranamaya kosha level of reality. Or if you are anxious, you're probably having an issue in your manamaya kosha, which is the mind, right, layer of reality. And so how do you how do you move from one to another? And so you can use these five layers as a map to figure out how to hack, hack your way out of your bad feeling place and into your more integrated space. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And now we got Mario in the house. What's up? Master symbolist. Oh, uh, the nice king of correspondences. <laughs> I want to just make a response to that. It will is the best to me enticement to come get a to come train with you because I really like that idea. Yes. I've simplified it in my own understanding for a long time that why we have like a mind, body, spirit configuration. I always thought was because if you got stuck on one level, you could make progress on one of the others. And it's more simplified, but you know, there's more layers than mind, body, spirit and that getting unstuck somewhere or like causing movement in one area brings about movement in another area. Mm -hmm. Like you'll notice that across the board, if you get healthier, you'll probably make more money, things like that. It's absolutely true. And these things all relate back to your astrology chart. So for example, the Koshik model of energy body relates to the elements. And so you can see people with strong connection to certain elements staying in that area, or perhaps if you have difficult placements in a particular sign with particular elements, you'll veer away from that. Mario, thanks for joining us again. And do you have any thoughts from the show so far or questions for Emily, while we're here? Yeah, I do have a question. Nice to meet you, Emily. Nice um, I was wondering, since you're, you know, merging these worlds, yoga and astrology, um, really well, and I, I love a lot of the insights you've thrown out there tonight. Um, I was curious, is there a sign or a constellation or a star that you feel like 
relates to yoga or corresponds with the practice of yoga, perhaps more than others. Um, Cause I had a thought about Leo in this regard, when I see my cat stretching and stuff, and then I think about the warmth of Leo and the sun and everything else to me, I was just thinking that there may be something there, but I would love to know your opinion. I just want to throw in that. That's a really good point. And Qigong, when I learned Qigong, all of the, in the lineage that I learned, all of the movements are said to have been learned by observing different animals. And they're sure. all named like goose beats its wings and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to be very specific and academic. So I will say one thing to you first, which is technically, if you want to look at linguistics, which sign relates most predominantly to yoga, we would have to go with Taurus because Taurus relates to the Hierophant. (laughs) Um, The Hierophant's Hebrew letter is... Tav or Vav. Thank you. It's Tav, which means nail. Another meaning of which is to yoke. to yoke is the root word of yuj or yug for yoga. Oh, right? And so we would have to go there. But the tav also relates to the letter for oxen, right? Which is related to the fool, which is related to Uranus, which is the modern ruler of Aquarius. So we'd also find that there. It's interesting you mentioned Leo because Aquarius is on the spectrum with Leo. Mm -hmm. Leo rules. So Leo is connected to the heart chakra. Okay. Um, But also to the the third eye chakra. And so we see um, a particular connection physically and energetically to yoga there because in the tattvic model of the yogic structure of reality, which is present in tantra, so the tantra version of this with more tattvas as opposed to the dualistic model, um, the top tattva is the Hridaya or the great heart of all of reality. And so we see cosmic principles at play. And yet, so like, yes, I do see the fixed signs in particular. So we see Taurus, we see Aquarius, we see Leo. That makes sense too. Aquarius is all about flow. Yeah, well, Aquarius is the water bearer, right? So it's taking what was flowing and holding it in the fixed space of the mind. So what's flowing in the human being is the emotional experience of reality. And then when you draw it into the fixed space of the mind, something profound happens, which is an alchemical movement into an integrated space. And so that's what a lot of us are here doing right now. Um, a lot of us are really into, for example, I have a tendency to be more of a thinker and a talker, right? And then I move into the feeling space, right? And a lot of us who are incarnate now are working on the integration of the two, right? The not just feeling and then thinking or thinking and then feeling, but like, how do you do both together in real time? And how do you hold the space for that? And that's what Aquarius 
is all about. I have a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what would be maybe the, actually, I think I already know the answer to this, but, uh, but I still want to know what you're going to say. Um, pause you for a second. Maybe. Hold it. Yes. Don't lose it. I just want to make sure if Mario had any response to that oh, awesome articulation <laughs> that Emily answered his question with. I want to give him a chance before the bubble pops because Mario's real cool about holding his cards, but I know he's got a lot going on. <laughs> right, right. Thanks, man. Um, you know, I just wanted to say that the uh, the Hierophant um, Taurus connection makes sense. And um, having been to India, you know, seeing their reverence for the cow is pretty amazing. And so that's what really got me interested in um, cow and bull symbolism actually was going over there and just seeing it all around and just, you know, cows sitting in the streets and there's traffic, you know, having to just like drive around the cow and you're wondering what's going on if there is an accident or something like that. But it's just a peaceful cow chilling, you know. Um, So I think that's really interesting. And the fixed signs thing, too, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, yeah, great answer. Thank you. I love that you love the cow. I also just want to yell out to the world all the time that Taurus is the Taurus or the Rosy Cross, right? Is the goddess, is the first form of the mother goddess. Um, and exactly. Know, oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> For sure. And the Taurus field and, you know, all of that as well. And then tarot too. the cow is actually cow symbolism is sprinkled all over the major arcana from the beginning to the very end. You know, it's almost uh, it's a Taurus based system, I would say, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And and it's all like we like to talk about the Bible because I think that's the easiest access point for a lot of people or sort of the the cultural symbolism that's come through, but a lot of this goes straight back to Egypt, right? And Hathor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Even by bull has bull. That's right. Can't, yep. Can't, can't miss that. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> okay. Kaylee hit us. Yes. Thank, okay. thank you. <laughs> yeah. I got my Mercury and Aries. So I'm like, <gasps> Over here, over here. <laughs> anyway, um, so say someone was stuck in one of their, you know, habitual bodies that they go to, like whether it's mind, wisdom, feeling, whatever. What would be the number one thing that you would tell them to do yoga wise? Would you tell them to practice something relating to their sun sign or sit and meditate? Or like what would be the first thing that you would tell them to do? So if we were looking at it from a Koshik model, um, it would depend on their chart. If I, if I had their chart in front of them, I might give them more specific activities. But right. if someone just showed up and they were like, yo, I'm stuck in this part of my form, um, I would do practices that, draw, that drew them to the next level near to that. And then an additional practice that took them into the other ones. So does this make sense? So like if you're stuck in your bliss body, we have to start pulling you back down into reality until we get you all the way back to your physical form. Um, 
if you were stuck somewhere else, you know, the, the method would be slightly different. Does that. So I'm going to bring this chart back up again, because this is making me think, uh, thanks crazy Fox for the share in the call in line. It's very handy. So if say you were really stuck in the physical body and then the energy, so you may be feeling the energy body too, but possibly starting to get cut off from emotional body. I'm trying to imagine a scenario where like maybe somebody's having a blockage emotionally. Cause this is for me as someone that does um, energy healing, I'm curious and, and it's mysterious to me. What is exactly the mechanism that causes the release of some kind of like, say heart chakra blockage that constitutes grief or, or something along those lines. How is it that some people can easily release that cry, get it out when the right stimulus is applied. And then other people, you can do the exact same process for them. And you might even recognize the same blockage, but it doesn't come out. I know it's, it probably depends on the person uh, greatly, but is there any insight into that type of a situation? Yeah. So if, so if you're working with chakra, it will be a different approach. And you're right. Like some people, like our chakras go in and out of balance all day. It's not like, like I measure, very true. like I pull out my thing and I measure people's chakras all the time here. And you well, wait, know, how do you do it? What's your thing? How do I measure the chakra? Yeah. yeah. Um, I utilize a pendulum and your energy body is moving outside of your form. So you just hold a dangling object above the chakra and it will show you whether the chakra is in balance and in which way it is rotating. Nice. I use uh, dowsing rods, but that just gives me like the size, how far off the body it goes. Oh, yeah. Um, but it do chakra, it'll show. That would be possibly another layer of information for me to experiment with. To not just get the size, but also the spin direction. Very cool. Yeah, because it's it's happening. Um, and then you can check the back body and make sure they're drawing energy in, right? So there's, um, and you you guys can do that at home. I used to teach people this in workshop. Well, I still do, I guess, all the time. And people were always like, oh, do you have to have the special skill to do that? It's like, no, you literally hold something above it. And it will move. Um, so try it at home. Um, okay. So some people, to answer your question with the heart chakra thing, some people are going to have an easier time getting it back in balance. You know this intuitively, right? If you had a minor disappointment, you auditioned for a play and you didn't get the part you wanted right? You told your crush you liked them and they didn't like you back, right? Those are minor sort of things in the heart chakra that constitute more like disappointment. If you were told as a child, never express your emotions, that makes you bad. And you internalize that belief. And now you're trying to unlearn that in each behavioral system in your life. And finally, you know, get into a relationship where you feel that you can be vulnerably seen. Now that's going to be harder, right? More of a process. And so in yoga, we call these, we call every latent impression 
that wedges in your physical form and your energy form a samskara, right? These are literally the scars of experience. And when you do these practices, one of the things you're doing is you're burning samskaras so that the seed no longer sprouts. So you're, you're getting it aligned, but you're also doing the work to, um, to prevent that patterning of showing up again. And that can take, you know, time to unlearn or re rework, right? We have to be patient with ourselves. It's not like sometimes people are like, I learned the information. So now everything should be great, but it's really, you know, especially with the heart chakra, it can never be broken, right? That's what anahata means is the unstruck, unbeaten, unstruck sound, right? Which is funny because the heart beats. I didn't know that that's what it meant in Sanskrit. That is really cool. That is. Yeah. It's It's like a drum that it doesn't need to be hit. Mm -hmm. Because even though the physical heart is beating and pumping, something in the anahata space, which is actually in the very center of the body, so it's not the literal organ of the heart, though it's related, it holds the space that you can go into and it's the shimmering sound of silence. Like Simon and Garfunkel? Sound of silence? I I almost referenced that, but then I was named after Simon and Garfunkel, so. No, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, my dad was like, oh my gosh, nobody's named Emily. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, first year as the number one name. That seems to, that happens. That's how it works. Um, So samskara is an interesting word too. And you said something like burning out the pattern. That really reminds me back to the beginning of this conversation and the Ignatius, the purity, the purifying element of fire. It's cool. Yeah. And everyone else jump in, you know, do your thing. Yeah. And uh, Agni, because I brought that up earlier in the chat, right? Yeah. They write a ram, right? Aries, fire. You know, and oftentimes oh. to Aries is related to sulfur and reminds me of the uh, three philosophical elements, salt, mercury, sulfur, etc. Um, and Aries is coming through really strong for me this cycle as well, I would say. And so, Emily, um, you're probably not aware, but I research each sign during the sign itself. And mm-hmm. so that's something I've been doing for several years now. And it's just kind of amazing the patterns that come up when doing that. But um, you gotta find his Instagram is right up your alley. Deep yeah. dives, but like concise, three-ish minute videos on like one thing, like the chariot card or yeah, cool. the glyph of Capricorn, things like that. And he packs it all in in three oh, minutes. Good. I love glyph work. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll connect online. I think I already added you um, once I found out you were coming on today. So I'll send you a message or something. Um, what I was going to ask, though, this might be pretty basic, but like, at what point does a practice become yoga, I suppose? So if you're just stretching or if you're meditating or what have you, like, when does it become yoga, in your opinion? 
I love that you said, in my opinion, because you will find many, many different opinions on that. Um, For me, I mean, there's, I'm of two minds. The academic side of me is like, technically, yoga is based in the traditions that come from the yogic traditions in India, right? So yoga is based in um, either the Upanishads or the Dravidian work. You know, there's, there's something in yoga that comes from the tantric or the classical initiatory texts. That being said, we call lots of things yoga that aren't that, right? Um, and so the the piece of me, though, that's more experiential would say you're doing yoga anytime you enter into an act of engagement with the self, capital S, right? Um, and so anytime that you are doing the central things that you have to do to practice yoga, which is the surrender to the higher self, right? And the act of practicing, for me personally, that's when I would be like, this is yoga, right? Because most of yoga is just meditating. But, you know, the the academic in me is like, we can't call it yoga if it's not based in (laughs) these (laughs) texts. I see. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, gotcha. Well, uh, thanks for clarifying and explaining your perspective on that. And I just got some feedback. I don't know if anyone else is hearing that. I think it may be Kaylee's a little coming through a little bit on uh, her volume, but she's doing a good job muted when she's not talking. And I bet we're ready to hear something from you too. It's because you don't have earbuds in, right? It's mild though. No big deal. I've got, I need. We're working on that mic situation. You're sounding great tonight. Good. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, what do you think in here? I'm sure that this is sparking stuff in your mind. I heard once that yoga was defined as breath, but other than that, I have no training in yoga. Don't have an academic background, just so. That's just what I heard once. It's defined as breath. <laughs> that's all. That's all I got for that. That's that's a profound thing to think about. Um, breath is the first thing in any occult path, right? It's the full card in the tarot. It's the thing we start with in yoga. Um, it's the thing we attribute energy to in yoga as well, right? The prana. Um, it is the vehicle upon which energy rides. I have a question for you. I've been playing around with mudras lately. Is that something you do a lot of work with yourself? Totally. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's see about your thoughts on that. Cause I have, it's not in here right now, but I have this deck of 72 mudras, but it's like an Oracle deck style. It is really helpful for somebody that knew zero mudras to start out. Are there any that you're like really feeling for airy season potentially, or maybe get to that after you just give your general thoughts on mudras and what they are and why they're effective, you know, teach us about them, please. Thank you. I'm like, yeah, boy, a Baya Hridaya mudra. 
Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, but, but so mudra just means seal, right? And of course the planets are written in the hands, like astrology is written in the hands and the feet too. And so, which you'll know from that, I think I have that too. Cause I, I used, I used to teach at a studio called mudra yoga. So I would, and I would sometimes teach workshops on the mudras, um, shameless plug, it's covered in astro yoga teacher training, but you, you can use your hands to create healing or energy movement in your physical and energetic forms. Right. And there are lots of reasons to do particular ones. And you can also do full body mudras, right? Like whenever you engage in your, um, your, your locks, right? You, you're doing that. I really like to do something called star pose, which is technically a mudra and it seals off all the places where we lose energy in the body and opens the back chakras where we receive energy. Um, I like to do that around the equinox actually. So, um, if anybody's into it, do it. It's good for you. Um, but yeah, mudras are just meant to seal off one pathway to point you in another way, kind of like a labyrinth. I really like that. I think we're really missing in the West, the entire conceptualization of life force energy, prana or chi. And we just tend to leak it all over the place with no thought to sealing, holding, generating. And we, we just like, Oh, I feel like crap today, you know, without any rhyme or reason to our thinking about why that might be beyond like, let's been something I ate, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of people over giving in a belief that by over giving, they will be able to receive instead of receiving and giving in a way that's balanced. Yeah. Agreed. Well put. Um, since you mentioned the equinox, I'm curious, I'm not really dogmatic with any of this, but, um, do you follow the tropical system or sidereal? I do tropical. I do sidereal only on request. Okay. I gotcha. And how do you feel it it varies when you do that for people? Um, I prefer tropical. I feel that it's more accurate to life on earth sidereal is a connecting principle that will help us see our place in connection to broader big picture things most people on earth today are in a place where to learn what they came to learn and to do what they came to do, they need to enact change in their immediate experience of life first. Mm. And so tropical tends to be the system of preference for that. I see. Okay. I gotcha. Um, I'm starting to acknowledge sidereal, um, 
just the system a bit more uh, symbolically, I guess. I want to keep track of like all the systems of like what's going on and, and um, you know, um, the various dates and how that changes. And as I was looking into it recently, I was like, okay, so there's more than one sidereal system and, and more than one way to follow the constellations and stuff, right? Um, do you have an opinion about the correct way to do sidereal astrology or like what the proper dates are to follow by chance. Cause I, when I was just Googling it the other day, I was like, I'm so confused right now, you know, on uh, which way to go with all of this. And so I'm sure I'm not alone because I just started dipping my toes into it. Good. You should be confused because <laughs> good for yeah. you. Um, He's just working. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Systems are intact as their own. When you start to work, this is just like, like, let's use a metaphor. Let's use a metaphor. If you were a doctor, you would be following a particular system of medicine, right? Whether you were a traditional Chinese medicine doctor or an acupuncturist or, or sorry, that is an acupuncturist or a chiropractor or an Ayurvedic specialist, right? You would have a certain logic, which came from an intact system that you had inherited, right? From, from the tradition. That's what's going on in astrology. But what's happened is in this sort of information age, we are, we are trying to reconcile what we're geographically separate systems for a while, right? And that is part of what I do because I put tropical astrology on a traditionally Eastern tradition. So um, I walk a twofold path, but, but when you are making your decision of which system to follow, it's important to know why you're doing what you're doing, right? So you should choose one, where you're operating in an intact way, unless if you are consciously doing something else, right? Like we're free. So don't, don't take this dogmatically as me being like, follow everything exactly to the T. Cause I certainly don't personally do that. And many of my teachers didn't who are quite profound. Um, that being said, an intact tradition is a treasure. So, um, to study an intact tradition can be very powerful and helpful. Does that make sense? So they could be different, but you just want to make sure like when you're like, why is like, figure out why it's different and then figure out, you know, <laughs> ideally, you know, who's the genius who came up with this, right? Like who's the person who did this and and why, why would I want to use this one as opposed to the other one? So like in Western astrology, for example, there's reasons you might form your house structures differently according to a geographic region that a person was born. I see. Right. Okay. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm coming at it from almost like, I don't know if this is the proper way to explain it, but almost from like an anthropological perspective, like I want to know what all people are doing the various systems and why they're doing it not necessarily to do readings myself or to see clients or like anything like that but more so like what's their logic where did this tradition come from 
why does it make sense to them? You know, um, viewing the sky clock based on the actual size of the constellations, right? Versus these convenient wedges. You know, I could see the logic behind that, why you would want to put an emphasis on the actual it's a shitty clock, though, itself. if every hour is a different length of time. I mean, we live in an organic universe. You know, that's what I true. Mean? Nature's got a lot of wiggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I don't know enough about it to, to say one way or the other that they should or should not be doing that. But I'm more interested in, I guess, the fact that it's even out there. Mm-hmm. Emily, is there a particular flavor of yoga that you're bringing forward? I love it. astro flavored. It's it's astro flavored with me. I've studied in a, a number of different modalities in yoga. So I teach broadly. I've done three teacher trainings in my life. I studied in India with almost all men. I studied in America with almost all women. Right? Like I've studied very gentle, intact traditions, and I've studied more rigorous intact mm-hmm. traditions and I've studied the the other things um so for me like what I practice and what I teach is different right cool yeah <laughs> you never teach your own practice I suppose but you yeah so I'm a big fan of all of them though not all of them I'm a big fan of several of them um, and I would encourage finding a, you know, if you're looking for a yoga teacher, like a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one thing that comes to mind is, so my experience with yoga is not extensive, uh, but uh, my most uh, rigorous undertaking was Ashtanga style. Um, and it was later in life that I came to discover that some styles are more still, more at rest. They engage and hold the pose for longer. And that's kind of neat to consider in, in relation to the fact that the constellations are generally unaltering and stay the same. Uh, and that the yoga correlates to the fixed signs you were getting into that or that the taurus the tav the uh the nail concept mm-hmm. right you're gonna like nail down in a stationary pose just yeah. for us to throw in mm-hmm. and taurus rules the body too in a particular way and that's what we're doing is i mean from a western perspective our subconscious is our body in a particular way, our super conscious is our higher self. And then our self-consciousness is where we get ourselves in trouble or save ourselves, right? We, we have this sort of active principle of the mind. And so you see that when Taurus comes in, we start to work with the subconscious and we start to tie our consciousness into the layer of the subconsciousness, which is you know, the only piece of us that has access to our super consciousness. Did that sound crazy? Was that too? 
Was that? No, no, we're all. Love it. You're in good company right now. We're full woo here. Don't worry about it. I just used the word consciousness in like 12 ways. And then I was like. Full spectrum woo. Man, that's why the Germans have such a leg up on us in this psychology realm. And I mean, psychology as in the soul psyche, not psychology as in psychiatry and throwing medicine at things. Because they got words for things that we don't have words for, like your worldview warfare that we have to say all the three separate words to get. Uh, they have the idea of the Eigenwelt, the Umwelt, and the, oh, what's the third one? Mario, help me out. I wish I knew it, man. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about, but <laughs> yeah. So they, this is like the world of other people, the world of nature, mm-hmm. and the world of the inner self. They have words for all that you know, layers of self. We're really limited in our English in a lot of ways, anguishing in English. But there was a fun question from JLo in the chat. She wanted to know if you know human design at all. If you've looked into that, if you know your human design, is that anything you studied? I don't. I hear about it a lot. Um, I haven't taken the time to dive into it because because it's new, but I think it's related to astrology. I think it's connecting a lot of these things, but I personally no idea which one I am. Yeah. It's kind of like you're in the the academic sense, you know, you're pointing out the really important observation that uh, we get confused because we're cross breeding all these different systems all the time. And, but I think there's advantages and disadvantages to that, but it definitely helps to know a full specific lineage as it was intended to be transmitted. And that's getting harder and harder to find. I think. I think it's so fun to look into stuff like that though. I just haven't looked into that one, but I love, I love hanging with the Chinese astrologers. <laughs> Even though I'm like, how, how did you figure that one? <laughs> you know, like um, they tell what's, me what's your Chinese Zodiac. I'm a rabbit with with a tiger, and what's my third one? Rabbit, tiger, dragon, maybe. I think I'm I didn't rabbit. know we get three. We get. What? I thought you only got one. <laughs> I thought we just got one. I'm mostly a rabbit, though. What about you guys? I'm a goat. I'm You're a rat. A goat. Wait, what did we say? Rat. Rat. That's a good one. And what about you guys? <laughs> rat. You're a goat, Kaylee. Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm a goat. Gabe? I think I'm got a like, horse. Got like quadruple goat going nice. on. We got a whole stable here tonight. And what nice. are your chance? You're a snake. Snake. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I, I get on great with horses, but you would think horses would be scared of me. Yeah, I think we're not supposed to get along. But Have we transcended? Good thing we're not Asian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so Emily. Oh, go ahead, Mario. Yeah, I was just curious, uh, with what you do for people, the, the line of work you're in, um, I guess, what's the most difficult aspect of your job, if there is one? It's not the astrology. It's the stuff that I don't know how to do, that they did not teach me to do in folklore school. For example, how does one post on the Internet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do great with all the branding and social stuff and your website's awesome. I hire someone to tell me what to do. That's the trick. When I first hired her, she was like, you should send emails to people. And I was like, oh, really? 
people just come to me usually. And she was, yeah. So it's just learning the businessy things. It's literally like doing my taxes. That's the hardest part. I could be mixing you up with somebody else, but I feel like you that person is who actually even got in touch with me to contact you the first time we did show together. I could be mixing that up. Yeah, that is. That's her because she much praise to her because now we're like besties. All right. She's great. Yeah, she's amazing. She's a total badass who loves doing stuff like that and who it's her zone of genius. But yeah, for me, I just, you know, I deep dove into astrology. And so if someone shows up on the computer or in person with me, I have no problem teaching off the cuff. I have no problem talking about this stuff. But the second you're like, make business plans, that's when that's my. Are we supposed to do that? I've never done that. Well, I don't know. I don't do it. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you have a, a Mercury Neptune aspect going on or like? No, oh, okay. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not a problem. <laughs> it's just like that would be the hardest thing, I guess. I see. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. How does understandable? One- how does one do their taxes? <laughs> okay, well, we're getting near the end. I'd like to go around and give everyone a chance to make final comments or questions of any of the other panelists we have tonight. What a cool crew. And thanks for the, you know, spontaneous pop-in, Mario and Kaylee. Love it. Yeah, no problem. I've got nothing else to add. This was fun. Uh, Emily, it was really nice talking to you briefly. And uh, I'll send you a link to my site and stuff like that on Instagram. You're going to love his work. He's I'd really love useful. that. It was great chatting with you too. And all of you guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks for doing these on Wednesday, Chance. They're fun. They're fun. I like the more casual digs. Yeah. And thanks for coming out, Emily. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. I just emailed Chance yesterday. I was like, do you think any of your people would want to come to teacher training? Because I love I love the people you attract. Yeah, we've definitely had uh, members of the tribe come get one-on-ones with you and things like that. We got the most thoughtful humans in this universe group. It's crazy cool. Yeah, and that's a huge testament to the kind of content you put out chance because you're you know you look at things holistically but you also have depth and that's worthwhile oh thank you i would say the same about everybody on screen right now gabe you got anything for wrapping up it's cool to be in the same room right look at us growing out (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was great to see you again emily uh this was awesome this was really nice to uh, have a, a whole vibrant with you on this on the Wednesday show, and much love to Mario and Kaylee. Good to see everybody, and Homie Romy too. Thank you. Oh yeah, don't forget Homie. He was so much fun, master <laughs> poet. Okay, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in, and don't forget, like every other Wednesday, we're gonna unless unless we're not. But I see James in the chat. We're doing. Flow State, Weaving Spiders Welcome YouTube channel. We get together, we do Flow State. We make art and read books to each other. It's going to be great. I got a new book that I'm going to read a selection from. Money Grows on the Tree of Knowledge. Gabriel gifted me this tome. I saw Mario's head pop. Oh, 
Yeah. So, okay. We're going to wrap it up. Much love everybody. Check the show notes for Emily Ridout's website. And I posted her Instagram. It's Emily dash Ridout dash Astro Yoga, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So follow her there. You get great updates. I also usually like to remind people that if you go to her website and sign up for her newsletter, it is non-invasive newsletter. It is inf- informational newsletter. She'll make offers to you about what she's work like uh, working with people on at the time, but it's great to get those little updates in my inbox about what the space weather happens to be at this time. So I recommend that. Go to her website, go to her Instagram. Emily, you rule. Kaylee, you rule. Mario, you rule. Gabriel, love you, bro. Much love. See you guys on the Weaving Spiders Flow State. Have a good night.